There's this misperception that the only people who are at risk of cancel culture are CEOs of major corporations or famous individuals, celebrities, sports stars. Nothing could be further from the truth. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure, the show for successful people and for those who want to become successful, the only show that reveals the true nature of success. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr., and today I'm bringing you Evan Nyerman. So today we're tackling a subject that is more relevant than ever before. It's cancel culture. And I don't want you to think that this topic is only for celebrities and high-profile people. It's not. It's something that can impact everyday people like you and me. And our guest, Evan Nyman, he's a crisis PR expert who's been in the trenches for nearly 30 years guiding people from presidential candidates to, to private individuals through just the, the minefields of public scrutiny. His business, his company is called Red Banyan. They're a top-tier PR agency, and they've really mastered the art of what they call pressing the truth. That's a registered trademark term that they use to help people navigate through high stakes in, in crisis-filled situations. And like I said, this is not just for people who are, are celebrities and high profile. He gives us some great examples of just regular people who have had this done to them and, and how to handle it. He's handled things from Ethiopia's international reputation to, to steering startup companies through media or hurricanes. I mean, this guys he's seen it all and he's got so much to offer us here today. He's written some game-changing books on crisis communications, including his latest book, which is titled The Cancel Culture Curse. And if you think this is politically motivated, you've got to hear his take on politics. This guy has a, a balanced view and he gives us both sides, the way that cancel culture is looked at from both sides and how both sides use it. It's really, really an, an open-minded take on cancel culture. So he's going to reveal to us in this conversation how it's more pervasive and how it's more dangerous now than ever before and more dangerous than you think and how you can really navigate it through something like this with grace and with poise. So, so grab your notebook, grab your phone with the notes app because you're going to take a lot of notes here. You're going to get yourself a masterclass on sort of modern day survival. And you probably know somebody who would really benefit from this episode. So give it a share. Somebody maybe who's faced cancel culture or maybe a conversation you've had with a friend recently about this, but give it a share. That's how these things grow. And that's how these, uh, these podcasts like mine find new listeners. So thank you for that in advance. All right, let's get into my interview with Evan Nyerman. We have all heard of cancel culture. This is just not something that only celebrities have to deal with, right? I mean, why, why should the listeners care about this? Great question. There's this misperception that the only people who are at risk of cancel culture are CEOs of major corporations or famous individuals, celebrities, sports stars. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, those people need to worry less about cancel culture because they've got legions of people around them who've got their back. They've got the best agents, the lawyers, the crisis managers, the publicists, the attorneys, the accountants, you name it. It is actually professionals, small business owners, entrepreneurs, upwardly mobile folks who are sort of in, in the upward trajectory of their career who most need to be concerned about cancel culture because the people who fall in that category typically don't have 
all, let alone in some cases, any of those things. And so this is the kind of phenomenon that can come out of nowhere and can take someone who's got a very promising career, very successful up to this point, and throw a wrench in those plans, render them completely radioactive moving forward, disrupt, derail, destroy careers. And that's a shame. It's why it shouldn't be happening. And that's why I wrote the book, The Cancel Culture Curse, to fight back against this notion and to tell people this absolutely can happen to you. Let's talk about ways that you can fight back if you need to and how to avoid being canceled in the first place. So you wrote a book about cancel culture. You must be a hardcore right winger, right? The furthest from it, actually. It's really funny because you know a few people told me when I explained to them what I was writing about. They were like, aren't you scared that you might get canceled if you write a book that's opposing cancel culture? And I said, of course not, because I talk in the book about how to fight back against it. And I do communications and PR for a living. So I'm not that worried about my reputation or what could happen to me. But as far as this right wing nonsense, this has become a label that's been actually applied to me only since I wrote the book. Before that, you know, all my Republican friends assume I'm a Republican. My progressive Democrat friends all presume I'm a Democrat. I am a down-the-middle, traditional, independent swing voter. And so in my book, I critique the left. I critique the right. I condemn extremism on both sides. And the practice of cancel culture, whether you're a Democrat doing it or Republican, it's fundamentally un-American and it's wrong. And so I'm doing this as someone who actually is a patriotic American who believes that we should have the freedom of speech, freedom of, of expression. Ideas should be debated. We should be able to have discussions on podcasts in the public forum and talk about these things. And if I disagree with you, Jim, doesn't mean I should come after you, try to harm your career, and try to deplatform you and silence you. Is there anything that's less American than that? I don't think so. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. We need more people who are down the middle and can see both sides and, and just are not putting partisanship over patriotism, which is what we see so much these days. And I think it's just such a terrible thing for America. So I love the fact that you're down the middle. I love how in your book, you do address this from both sides and you're not picking a side. You're just sharing the truth. I freaking love it. So Evan, a couple of examples. You and I talked about a few examples of people who have been canceled. Can you share some of those? Yeah, well, there's turn on your TV, open up a newspaper, log on, and every single day there are more examples of people who are victims of cancel culture. You want to you want to talk about a celebrity, or you want to talk more about an everyday citizen? Let's talk about the three that you and I spoke about. Dave Chappelle was the first one. What happened to him? Okay, so Dave Chappelle, he's been fighting back. Look, I I, I coined this phrase for people who are proponents or fans of or engagers of cancel culture. I call them cancel vultures because like vultures, they like to swoop down. They feed upon the dead remains of others. And so these cancel vultures, they like to tweet. They like to blog. They like to do their podcast. They like to go on YouTube and upload videos and they like to talk about other people's pain and try to convert that into eyeballs, likes, follows, etc. Monetize it in some way. They seem to revel when other people are brought down a peg. 
And the cancel vultures were coming hard for Dave Chappelle for quite some time. He had been sort of painted with this brush that he is a a transphobe. He's an enemy of the trans community because he has these really, you know, controversial views that men are men, women are women, et cetera. Look, I don't want to get deep into the trans debate because I actually think that the extremists on both sides are wrong. Again, I'm, I tend to, to tack towards the middle. But the fact is, he is in a line of business comedy where you're supposed to hold up a mirror to society. You're supposed to point out things and make fun of them, mock them, get laughs. That's his business. And the thing that's remarkable about Dave Chappelle is when people started coming for him, they tried to deplatform him. He followed the cardinal rule that I talk about in the book, which is simply refusing to be canceled, to not kowtow to the mob. Don't let the cancel vultures win. And, and Dave Chappelle, rather than doing the prepackaged faux apology or a hostage apology where he's delivering a this, this apology that he feels obligated to make, but that he clearly doesn't believe. Instead of doing any of those things, Dave Chappelle was basically like, look, I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm a comic. I got opinions. If you don't like my opinions, okay, that's your problem, not mine. So that would be one example where he just simply refused to give in and he's done pretty well. He's got his Netflix specials. He's got a lot of people showing up to his shows. So Anyone who thinks Dave Chappelle has been canceled, that's wrong. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. How about Jason Aldean? Similar, similar in that he refused to be canceled. I like actually, and it just occurred to me, you know, Dave Chappelle, black guy, Jason Aldean, white guy, country singer, kind of two different places on perhaps, I don't even know on the political spectrum where they fall, but it doesn't matter. Both entertainers, Jason Aldean has a song, the song, Try That in a Small Town, nothing's made of it. He posts the music video and then immediately there's an uproar online. People are saying, oh, he filmed it in front of this courthouse. There's a history, you know, 60 plus years ago, there was a lynching outside in that location. He's, he's giving a dog whistle to the, the right, the hard right. They pointed to the video itself, which showed protesters fighting with police. And all of a sudden, all the media coverage was, this is a pro-vigilante song. This is a song promoting lynching. And Jason Aldean, similar to what Dave Chappelle did, he didn't kowtow to the mob, even though country music television immediately folded. They pulled the video from its rotation. Jason Aldean actually went public. He released a statement. He said, look, I'm reading all these things people are saying about my song. That's not what my song is about. And I know because I wrote it. What it's about is love of country, patriotism. This is what I was talking about. So I'm not going to let someone else shape the narrative. And so he took control, he told the story, he pressed the truth, and as a consequence, song was at the top of the country charts, and Jason Aldean's doing just fine. Thank you. Yeah. And you had a personal story as well, Michelle McFarland. Yes. Yeah, so she's someone who I would venture to guess none of your listeners have heard of, and there wouldn't have been any real reason to, to hear of her unless you happen to be in the bridal industry. 
So she's a woman in Michigan, outside in the suburbs of Detroit, had a bridal shop, something like 30, 40 employees, or you know, very successful business, but you know, a, a typical small business enterprise. How many of those exist in America? It's the lifeblood of our economy. She also uh, is is well known within her industry because she was the former president of one of their industry associations, the Bridal Something Association. So Michelle, this is the scenario. Let me paint a picture for you. She goes on vacation with her husband to Las Vegas to just relax a little bit post-COVID, get a breather. She wakes up in Vegas, looks at her phone, and she's got tons of messages. Hate mail, people telling her, we're going to destroy your business. We're going to cancel you. We are going to boycott you. You don't deserve to be in business. She's looking at her social media feed and she's thinking, what are they even talking about? What did I do? I've been here in Vegas with my husband eating good meals and going to shows. Well, it turns out there was a big controversy in the political sphere of folks in Michigan who didn't want to certify the vote from Detroit. There was debate over the legitimacy of the presidential election when President Trump was 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 running against President Biden. And someone who was one of those Michigan legislators, or I forget what the actual title is, but someone who was going to be certifying the vote, this other woman had tweeted before something related to Michelle's store. Didn't mean that the woman owned her store, didn't mean that she was associated with them in any way, but all of a sudden these cancel vultures on Twitter jumped on it and they said, oh, she's an entrepreneur, she has a business. Let's take her business down and make her pay for what she's doing. She's raising questions about the legitimacy of the election. She's trying to deprive people of their votes. Therefore, let's take down this store. And so Michelle McFarland was literally in a fight to save her business over a case of mistaken identity. Now, in her case, she reacted very quickly. She actually called us. My team worked with her. We helped her get a public statement out. We went directly to the online influencers who were really stoking the flame, explained to them, listen, you've got all these people amped up. You got the wrong person. She has nothing to do with any of this. She sells wedding dresses. She's not a, pol a political activist in any way, shape, or form. And in Michelle's case, she did such a good job of advocating for herself that she boomeranged the story around. She got local media to come and tell the story about how a local businesswoman was being oppressed in a case of mistaken identity. And she was able to not just protect her business, but build her reputation further. And, and her business is thriving today. Wow. Very cool. So what's the history of this thing, this cancel culture? I mean, is this just a new phenomenon or has this happened in the past in other forms? There's always been forms of protest in this country, and there's always been forms of boycotting other people, speaking out and having disagreements. That's been since day one in America. That is that even before there was a United States, think about why we founded this country is because we wanted our own freedom of religion. We didn't want to basically, you know, report to and worship and and have fealty to a king. So this this whole democratic enterprise was was predicated upon the idea that we want free thought, free expression, etc. So there's always been these ways and you know, if I disagree with you, there've always been mechanisms by which I could raise my concerns. I could there's due process if I think you've wronged me. What's different this time is cancel culture is a totally new phenomenon because it leverages the tools that are unique to the world that we live in right now the hyper 
speed at which information travels, the interconnectedness of the internet, the fact that everybody's got one of these in their pockets. They have a cell phone. They can they can pick up and with a couple of taps, they can broadcast to the world. They can mobilize people. So cancel culture, make no mistake about it, it is a new phenomenon. It's building upon these protests of the past, but it's an entirely different thing. And the main element I think that makes it different is the permanence of what the cancel vultures are trying to do. If you make a mistake or if you're in a case like Michelle McFarland where you actually haven't done a single thing wrong, the cancel vultures want to punish you. They want to exact their pound of flesh and they want to render you unemployable for the long term. That's new. It's wrong. It has to stop. What are the elements of being canceled? I mean, we talked about this. We generally have this, this idea out there of what being canceled means. But you have an acronym that's, I think, really helpful for the listeners to understand like what exactly it means to be canceled, these elements. Can you share what that is? Yeah. So the, the acronym, it's super easy to condemn, and it's really appropriate here. It's CONDEMN. But it's C-A-N-D-E-M. And so if you look at instances of cancel culture and you apply these elements – you're able to tell, is this cancel culture? Is it not cancel culture? And it raises the alarm and you can recognize it. And if you recognize it and you define it, then you can start to defeat it, which was part of the reason that I wrote the book in the first place. So if you run quickly through the acronym, the C is that the crime is committed against a collective. So it's not just that you've, you know, if you and I get into an argument or, you know, Michelle McFarland, it wasn't, you know, the, the, out, the transgression that she was being accused of was that she was on the right and she was transgressing against either black people or people on the left in Michigan. And that's not based on my personal opinion. These are based on the comments she was getting in the hate mail, et cetera. So it's a collective, whether that's a, a gender specific religion, political identity, et cetera. A is that it arises and it accelerates quickly. It does that because the permanence of the internet, what exists there, how quickly information travels. The N is that the nature of the offense tends to be either fabricated, as it was in Michelle's case, or it's blown out of proportion. The D is that it prompts a disproportionate response. So in her case, disproportionate response meant we're going to boycott them. We're going to shut them down. We're going to put them out of business. We're going to ultimately make sure that 35 people aren't able to bring home paychecks that they use to support their families. The E is that everyone is afraid to defend the accused. And you see this happen with cancel culture all the time. And the reason is people are afraid to defeat, to defend the person who's under fire because they don't want themselves to become targets of the ire. And then the M in condemn is the moral absolutism by those doing the canceling. And again, this speaks to these people who are proponents of cancel culture and support this and engage in this. They believe that the punishment fits the crime and the more extreme, the better. And that if someone makes a mistake, well, if they lose their job, if they're totally destroyed online, if they can never date again, well, Darn it, they're a bad person. They did something They did something, and they deserve it, and I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. So those are really the elements, condemn. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these, they're up for debate to some extent, right? Disproportionate. Like if I'm a cancel vulture, like I don't think it's disproportionate. I think they deserved it, right? So there's an opinion here too, right, that you have to take into account. You do, but 
what you see with cancel culture is almost always what the cancel vultures are going for is the most strident, the most extreme, the nuclear option. And oftentimes they won't be satisfied until they get that. So you can get someone who's caught, for instance, on a video or they tweet something stupid. And then I'm thinking of a case of, you know, a football coach. Well, then what do they want? They want to go to the university and demand not that the person be suspended, not that the person have to undergo some sort of sensitivity training or an education. No, the demand is fire him. And if you don't fire him, well, then we're going to make sure that moving forward, students don't matriculate at your university and we're going to go to all the alumni and we're going to cancel you too. And so what that led to was in a lot of cases, both companies, public institutions like universities, when they would get this onslaught, emails, social media posts, phone calls, et cetera, these coordinated campaigns, the first response was always the most extreme. Get that person out of here. Keep the mob away from us. I believe that's starting to change, though. Part of it is the people who who end up getting fired, you know, summary execution of their careers. They end up lawyering up and saying, look, this is this was a violation. I should have deserved a second chance. There could have been other ways to go. And I think that there's also a greater awareness now that cancel culture sometimes gets it wrong, that the practice is wrong and sometimes the rush to judgment you need to actually take a breath, pause a beat, and actually investigate, and not just be taking extreme action because you feel pressured by public sentiment. I think that's changing. Yeah, I think so too. So the examples we talked about so far, Dave Chappelle, Jason Aldean, Michelle McFarland, these were all examples of the left canceling the right. And it sounds almost like, based on our conversation so far, this is the, the left is bad, the right is innocent in not doing anything wrong. I think feel like it goes both ways. Am I wrong? It does go both ways. And, and I think what you're seeing is, in this case, these were all examples of it going one way politically, but it definitely goes the other way as well. And I think you, you know some of the, the ones that come to mind are looking at Target, what they did with Pride Month, they became a, you know, pardon the pun, but they, you know, they had a bullseye on their back coming from the right. And then you look at Bud Light as another example. I think there's a, a catchphrase, which is really, it, it kind of took hold. This was the summer of the boycott. And, and the slogan that was being bandied about was go woke, go broke. And really what you saw was the right adopting many of the tactics of the left and they're, you know, you turn on right-wing media and, and they're very quick to condemn cancel culture, using it as an example of the political correctness gone too far, overreach by the progressive community. But then the right is also guilty of doing this too. And it's happening on both sides. And whether it happens emanating from the left or emanating from the right, I think it's wrong. Look, there have been other people who have opined on this subject. There was even a book written about it from a completely different view than mine. And it essentially made the case that when Democrats employ cancel culture, it's a good thing because it is bringing our society, it's leveling the playing field, and they're pushing back against this patriarchal, white, cisgender, straight dominance over people of color. And that's kind of the view. But when the right uses cancel culture, it's terrible because it's meant to protect this institutionalized racism. And therefore, you know, what's good for me is bad for thee. 
I disagree with that fundamentally. I think the practice is wrong. I think ideas should be debated. I think you may, and I'm not saying you do, Jim, but you may have some ideas that I think are just nuts. I think you're wrong. They offend me. I think you have no idea what you're talking about. Well, guess what? That doesn't mean I don't think you should be able to have your podcast, that you should be able to say what you want. That's a fundamental freedom as Americans. And if I disagree with you, we know that this is a made up example, but if you had said something that I disagreed with, well, guess what? I could ask you to come on your podcast and I could tell you, here's where I think you got it wrong. Here's why what I think you said was inappropriate. I want to have a debate with you. I want to discuss it. But think about how different that is fundamentally and how you view that versus me getting all my friends and all my contacts and coming and trying to bombard you with one-star reviews and trying to get you deplatformed and going to all the distribution channels of your podcast and saying, well, Jim's a terrible guy. I don't think you want to stand for these same horrible things that Jim does. So when you start to put it in that perspective, it hopefully changes the way people think about it. And people in business, people who have professional careers, small businesses, they need to be thinking about cancel culture, and they need to be committing themselves to making sure that if and when they do face some sort of a controversy, one, they take the requisite steps to not get into trouble in the first place. But if they do, you got to be willing to advocate for yourself. You should not just fold. Don't just pack it in. If people are saying things that are not true about your company or about you, you have to tell your story. Because no one is going to tell it for you. You're not going to find a surrogate who's going to have more on the line than you do. And so it's really incumbent on all of us as business people, but also as private citizens and individuals. We all have our individual reputations. Ben Franklin said it can take a lifetime to build a reputation and mere moments to lose it. And he was right. So we all have this responsibility, even if it's hard, even if we're getting bad comments on Twitter, even if people are attacking us, we've got to be willing to defend ourselves. There, there's this balance that, that you, you've talked about it a little bit, but this balance that we need to strike that is really hard because if I see somebody doing something that I think is not just something I disagree with, but absolutely wrong, you know, I'll admit like as a, as a, as a human being, I would want them to be canceled, I guess. And I'm a fairly down the middle kind of guy as well. It's so hard because that is that is against American values to do that. It's it's against American values. It's also against biblical values to those who are religiously motivated. You know, judge not lest ye be judged. At the end of the day, you know, you said something interesting. I was thinking to myself while you're saying, yes, if I see someone who's doing something that I find morally objectionable, yeah, I want them fired. But I would just say, you know, who appointed you the judge? And more importantly than that, with cancel culture, you're not just deciding that you're the judge. The mob is taking on the role of judge, jury, and executioner. Evan, this reminds me of a great quote that I heard from Stanley McChrystal. He's a former four-star general, and he said this. He said, our enemies often have a rational position, and it's very defensible. In many cases, if you put yourself on the other side of the table, you could see their position, and except for fate, you may be on that side. This is a general who had people who wanted to shoot, who wanted to put a bullet in his head and wanted to kill his men and women that were reporting to him, that were fighting for him. And this, I mean, what an amazing leader this guy is. He's built, he's built an amazing reputation as a leader. He's written some great books. He was a co-author of a, of a book who 
I had the the other co-author Jeff Eggers on here, a Navy SEAL, and but this is a, an amazing leader who takes this stance, which would be very hard to take whenever these other people want to kill me and they hate everything that I represent and I'm at war with them. I'm in actual war with them. And I'm actually able to say, if not for fate, I might be on that side of the table. I thought that was pretty pretty profound and an example of, of really what you're talking about here. Like everybody has a point of view and, and, and we, should, we, we need to, to have some empathy and, and understanding even if we disagree completely. It's profound, it's insightful, and I think uh, General McChrystal is 100% right. And we have to also keep in mind, our views and our perspectives are colored by so many different individualized things. So the way that I see something may be fundamentally different from how you see it based on the upbringing that I had, what part of the country or what part of the world I was raised, what's my religion versus your religion. We all come with these very different views and different life experiences. And I just think it's a good reminder. And, and you know, General McChrystal said it really well, which is we need to not rush to judgment, but we need to respect the fact that other people have different perspectives and try to walk a mile in their shoes and put ourselves on the other side of an argument. And, you know, that's a mature, rational, reasoned approach. And all too often, that's not what happens when a cancel culture incident happens. Instead, people just, they rush to the extreme, they rush to judgment, they don't bother to try to understand context or to put themselves in the other person's shoes. They just want to react and they react in the most strident way. So Evan, let's let's wrap this up and make this really actionable for the listener. Can you leave us with some sort of actionable things we can do to number one, protect ourselves, and number two, deal with this if we have to face this? And this is a a success through failure kind of experience, right? That's the name of the podcast, and you know, this may be a failure uh, or, or maybe just an adversity that we have to to face. But how how do we protect ourselves and how do we handle it? Yeah, and I love the the notion of success through failure because you know when I'm not writing books as just kind of a side gig, and I felt like this book was a calling. I needed to do it because I'd heard about how regular real life people were getting their lives destroyed by cancel culture. I run a crisis management firm and we see all the time that the flip side of crisis is opportunity. And if someone actually makes a mistake or they make a misstep, but then they handle it properly and they take accountability and they rectify it, they can actually engender more customer loyalty, more respect, and they can turn that negative to a positive and they can take that failure and turn it into a success. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the podcast itself and also the overarching message. You know, a couple of things that people can do is one, if you, if you go to cancelculture.com, I've got a couple of different resources that people can download there. They're totally free. One is 10 ways to help make sure that you're organization and you become cancel proof. So that's a resource with 10 actionable items that people can then take back to their business or to their lives. Uh, one of the key things that we talk about is just being cautious on social media and deciding what you put out into the world. And if you follow the two basic rules of share with care and post with purpose, that you're careful about not revealing too much personal information, and that you're also making sure that what you're saying advances how you want the world to see you. And it's a positive and respectful tone as opposed to attacking someone else or, or putting them down. And is that tweet, is that post, is it going to age well? You need to keep that in mind. So if you share with Karen, post with purpose, 
you'll avoid a lot of the incidents. Another downloadable that's on that cancelculture.com website, which is there, is is things, 10 things for parents to talk about with their kids about safe usage of the internet and what to teach our kids about cancel culture. Because if you're like me, I got two kids. Not only do I not want my kids being on the receiving end of cancel culture, I also don't want them to be active participants in it. And I want them to understand that part of growing up is making mistakes. And part of what we as all humans, we are all fallible. We all make errors. And it's the learning that we get when things don't go well. But cancel culture is very dangerous because it basically says there can be no learning or success through failure. Failure is permanent. Failure is the end. And I don't believe in that. And that's why I'm really excited to have had the opportunity to come on today and and talk this through with you. Likewise, where can listeners find you, follow you, buy your book, et cetera? At Evan Nearman on Twitter. You can Google Red Banyan, which is the name, name of my company. I invite people to contact me on LinkedIn, Twitter, X, Facebook, you name it, or drop me a line, evan at redbanyan.com. I answer all my own email. Excellent. Evan, really interesting and insightful conversation. Thanks for making time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, Let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app if you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.